So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCore subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hi. Hello. (laughs) So hello and happy St. Patrick's Day evening. I guess St. Patrick's Day Eve. Eve. Yes. Yes, there it is. Y'all, it was a long day. Huzzah! This is honestly one of Pack Dawson's favorites events of the year. So hence my oh-so-stylish outfits and the tutu that you can't see. May you have a lovely day tomorrow filled with spring flowers, laughter, being free of all things dreaded snakes, and amongst other delightful things. 
Anywho, y'all, Erin and I are back together after an eventful few weeks. Honestly, today was super eventful because my husband beat me home with the kids and he found two levels of what we're going with was dog vomit, but still dog lives because she's like a cat. So, and she was ridiculously happy by the time I got home. So that was my day. Erin, how about you? Got a green tutu? How are the kitties? No green, I should probably get a green tutu, but my name means Ireland. So I feel like I'm set. Yes. I mean, my dad used to prep me when I would go to school at St. Patrick's day, he'd say, Aaron, people might say, cause Aaron go bra means Ireland be free. It's like, people might say, Aaron, Aaron go braless. And I, or, and I'm like, I've not, no one's ever said that to me, but he really (laughs) made sure to prep me for that possible. um, That's. See, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for dads that look out for little girls. Yes. That's, that's wise advice. (laughs) I mean, Aaron Gobralis and um, dog vomit. That's a great way to start tonight. So it's, okay. All right, y'all, we are covering all things, functional language therapy tips. Um, And I got new reading glasses with the blue right reflector and they're not really. I can't find my glasses. So I I squint. Yeah. Well, if we want any chance of me reading the fine print, there it is. Okay. All right. So last week's episode, tonight's kind of like an extension of last week's episode. Last week mm-hmm. we had the one and only Carrie Ebert, MS, CCC, SLP. And she was talking about all things RBI, early intervention, especially with significant emphasis on um, goal writing and data collection, because there's such mm-hmm. a, a huge disconnect between what is best practice for early intervention and then what all of us do, because there's a lag time between research to practice, right? So um, let's start with a quick overview of how to embed language into routines-based interventions. So Erin, you want to like crash courses on what um, routines-based is to start with? Mm -hmm. So for those of y'all that didn't listen to last week's episode, which I would highly recommend, I had my student, I forced my student to listen to it by playing it during our car ride to go see our patients. And she'd say something and I was like, see, this is why, this is why we do what we do. But coming specifically from Asha, because Asha talks a lot about in early intervention, using a routines-based intervention approach. Specifically, it is an approach that builds caregiver capacity using everyday activities as a context for embedded instruction. The primary objective is to increase child and caregiver participation within their natural environment, which is exactly what we do in early intervention, working in their natural environment. Providers, families, caregivers, and or teachers collaborate to develop child-specific strategies that are practiced during daily routines. And they kind of dive into as well, like working with parents and caregivers to create communication and participation goals identifying regular learning opportunities, which is important because instead of going in and bringing a toy and what's the, what's the word? Bag of tricks. Bag of tricks, but also like, instead of creating a learning opportunity out of nowhere, you're going through and you're identifying where there's a communication breakdown or where a child can already learn and grow from what the family is already doing, which is very important. You determine what the child's interests, strengths, and motivators within daily routines are. So instead of whipping out a new toy that you found at the store, what is the child already interested in? And establishing techniques that can maximize their development and learning. So 
go ahead. I know. Oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm sitting over here like, okay. So, I'm trying to just say what Asha says first and then we can talk about what okay. we're going to talk about, but go ahead. Okay. Okay. Well, I promise we'll come back. Okay. So like the quote that Aaron gave us, like the Asha quote that she, I like, I, I want to talk, but now I need to put them back on. Glasses. Yep. 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 Goose thinks this is funny. I'm like, where are mommy's readers? He's like, which pair? And I'm like, shh. That you, okay. Michelle, I'm not going to tell you that's exactly what my Nana would say when I would go to her house and she'd have readers all the way around because you're much younger than she was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I really need to get LASIK. So like we're struggling, man. Okay. When we go to find out what these routines are, this is, there is a protocol for the routines-based interview and it's trademarked and it's trademarked by, by R.A. McWilliam. It's from 2009. Um, and this professor, to my knowledge, is based out of the University of Florida, which I feel like we should just like post-COVID day trip down and make them be our friends because I'm in like all of them. Okay. So, which I wouldn't have even known these people existed had it not been for the chair of our department filling my cup and like validating what I was doing, taking my still skill set and expanding it. So like, this is just full circle of life here. Okay. So this this questionnaire, it's it's extensive. It goes through and it normally takes like an hour to like an hour and a half to do the full questionnaire. Now, y'all, our service coordinators are doing this questionnaire. Our service mm -hmm. coordinators, i.e. that early interventionist, they're not maybe doing this early interview, but they're doing a variations of a routine-based interview. But this is our scope of practice, just as Aaron was explaining. And you can find this on the web and you can print it out. This one, this one, the McWilliams one, I found it on the center for the University of Oregon.edu, their starting strong page. You can print it out. It's free. It's accessible. And then you go through. I was blown away for how validating it was for what it was that I was already doing. Like I would leave my bag of tricks in the house and I would go in and I was seeking to understand like, where are your point of system breakdowns? Talk to me about like, where is language difficult? Where is feeding difficult? But this systematically goes through from the second that little one opens their eyes to the second they close them at night. And every potential opportunity for where you can say, oh, you're struggling with washing hands. We were watching a washing hands video on um, DuckTales before I popped down the stairs as a commercial. And we need the language for it. They don't like the running water. Maybe the running water gets them scared. Like those, those mm -hmm. y'all, this questionnaire, this interview will take your skill sets and help plug the holes that you may not even realize that you have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, no, but, and I think it also, cause I've, we have a couple CFs at our clinic and mm -hmm. I've been becoming now lead feeding therapist, which is a scary, but exciting thing. I'm mentoring some CFs and it's, I think, especially with assessments, you think I need a standard score. I need to have, cause we, we got the real recently and it does take us, it builds on your skill set and questionnaires mm -hmm. are very valid. Mm -hmm. I've been working very closely with a lot of occupational therapists. A lot of occupational therapy assessments are purely questionnaires. Criterion. Yes. Yes. And they're asking parents and you're, because if you think about it, of 
parent is coming to you, they're realizing their child has some delays in language, or maybe they didn't realize that the pediatrician did, and it's already difficult. They're having these communication breakdowns, and then you're coming in and saying, oh, we played this game today, and this was a great opportunity to embed language, and oh, we um, did this social, which, yes, social routine um, engagement can very much facilitate communication, but if you're going and you're saying, where are the breakdowns within your day and how can mm -hmm. I help you instead of here's another thing to add on top of what you're already yes. doing and they talk about how routines-based intervention and this is also straight from ASHA how it emphasizes caregiver implemented intervention mm -hmm. using toys and objects from the home mm -hmm. to encourage them to practice and it it is all about the caregiver. I remember last week you and Carrie talked about like working with the child in the session, but mainly you're working to make sure that the, the caregiver is prepared for the rest of the week. Yes. Because, you know, and, and it, it takes away, like when you work with some older kids and, and you work in the clinic and the parent isn't there, you get a lot of these magic moments, which are wonderful. And they, you see the, the child do something that they've never done before. And then you go out and you tell the parent and you're like, this is what they did. That's a little self, I don't mean to say it's selfish, but instead of us having those moments, we are, we are teaching the caregiver to then have those moments. So we can go in the next week and they can say, this is what my child did this week because of what I implemented and because of what I was able to I know we want to feel really important and that like we're the only ones that can do this, but if you can, if you can coach a parent, like they should be able to do it also. Yes. And you know, we're good at our job, but like someone else, you know, if we, if we do a good job of training them, that's our job. Yes. 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 The, I love that you said magic moments. Yes. So I just had um, Marie from Thinks Morris. We mm -hmm. just recorded. I'm very excited. It comes out the end of April. Um, but she was talking about embedding gratitude and joy into early intervention. And she didn't mm -hmm. call in magic moments. I can't remember her exact phrase because um, we recorded last night. And that might as well have been three days ago, given the amount of dog vomit and poo that was upstairs when we got home today. But um, I'm not gra grateful for that. Grateful she lived. But the what she was talking about was how when we come in and we celebrate those victories for the families mm -hmm. and we teach them to focus on that gratitude, that moment of their aha moment, like you said, their magic moment, mm -hmm. it, it strengthens the bond that these families and caregivers have with their children. And let's be honest, how many patients right now in your caseload, Aaron, have, um, are, have been in and out of the NICU, in and out of the PICU, or were preemies? A lot. Yes, right? Like most of my caseload right now. And mm -hmm. that's they trauma. Are, that's trauma, yes. And to go back to polyvagal theory with Dylan from back in February, which that seems like ages ago, Dylan Hartley, but if we can flip that script and mm -hmm. focus on the gratitude and the fact that we used our strengths to coach the parents and how to embed a language rich, 
how to take part of their daily routines and make it language rich. And mm-hmm. then they get that moment. It's. But it is hard so because, wonderful. and it's hard as a new clinician because you're having yes. to, you have to learn about adult. Like I don't do well. I'm meant to work with kids, but I also know that I work with adults all the time working with pediatrics, but it is hard to sometimes, you know, they talk, Ash talks about problems. So problem solving is a big, big aspect of routines-based intervention because the parent is talking to you about a breakdown in communication or a routine that they're having difficulty with and you're helping them problem solve. So I have a difficulty sometimes in how I, like, how I phrase my questions and how I communicate and then I don't want I'm aware that, and it's actually weird being at an age where like a lot of my parents aren't older than me, but for parents that are older than me, I, I want to make sure I'm maintaining respect and proper rapport and being the expert, but also making sure they know they're the expert in their child and also not being condescending because I'm aware that like life happens and every situation is different but also trying to make sure I maintain like some sense of authority. And so like all these things are going through my head when working with these families. And sometimes I go crazy because I'm like picking apart everything I do and how the parents reacting and building that relationship. And what'd you say? You're type A? What? (laughs) And in a way, not, not all the time, but I know I love you. (laughs) In most situations, it's like, I, I feel like and not to, but I think I do a good job of building rapport with my families, but that's as everything's going through my head. And it's in those moments too, where like the parent has to go to a doctor's appointment by themselves. They go by themselves, but like where they're, I'm coaching them through what to say to the physician, or I'm coaching them through a moment with the child. And but I, it, it still is hard for me sometimes to know the right way to say it and how to not offend them or make them feel like I know more than them or, you know what I mean? Yes. But you have your background in psychology. For those of you that are out there that have a background in psychology or counseling um, or um, any aspects of education where you learn the different modes of learning, you're at a distinct advantage because you know how to, you know how to read the room better to see how the message that you're delivering is received. Mm -hmm. I basically just word vomit at people and then have to code switch from technical to non-technical. And then that gets really overwhelming, but, um, and that's not always family friendly, but for the kids that I'm treating, I need specific test run. I need very right. deep. And so what I do is I, I make it user-friendly by specifically texting them what it is that I want them to get assessed with a different specialist. And that, and that's helpful, but to bring it back to the language piece, this is where your knowledge of Piaget's levels of development and Brown st- stages of language development that's where you can pull it in and you can say, or, or even like articum phonology. What is it, Erin? The Iowa-Nebraska norms of articulation. Yes, the Iowa-Nebraska norms of articulation. Those, having those as like a handout mm-hmm. or being able to say, hey, Super Duper has some hand, what is it? The Super Duper handy handouts or something like that, where they're all written on like a third or fourth grade reading level. Those, yeah. I, I would use those as examples and say, this is where we're at here's your core vocab, like how can we put it in? And I would be less technical, but 
by simply starting with doing a deep analysis of what their daily routine is yeah. that opens the opportunity for the mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. And it's, and routines-based intervention, what's great about it is it's, it's valuable for all of our patients, whether yes. it be a kiddo that is delayed in language and will likely catch up and, and not be in speech for very long, or it's one of our patients who is very medically complex who, mm-hmm. you know, I have a kiddo right now that we're working on establishing some form of AAC and it's really diving into the daily life of this child and this family. And what is the most important thing for this child to be able to communicate? I'm not looking at, you know, this, this child has a disease that is progressive. Like we're not this, we're not catching up. We're trying to figure out what's what's going to help this family's quality of life, yes. but quality of life in the routines of their daily life. So it, it is valuable in, in all fronts for all patient populations and all families. And that's the point of it is you're adjusting it for your family, mm-hmm. but you also, it's, it is so skilled to be able to identify those breakdowns and work with the family and have it be very functional. You don't have to have this magic test with all of these intricate, and I'm not saying there's not value to all of that, but when we're working in the homes, like that's what's go, that was what research shows is going to be the most beneficial yes. for these families. Yes. Our daily routines have not returned to what they were. Yeah. So like, I, I, I get that. But yesterday I had the opportunity to take, I have a little guy who has a rare genetic condition with a long-term prognosis of most likely being nonverbal. And last August we got his AAC device, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. um, thanks to Wyatt with talk to me technologies. Thank you, Wyatt. He came through in the middle of the pandemic and we got this kid's device and I'm just like thrilled. And mom was really hesitant about, you know, taking it outside of the home. And she was really hesitant to go outside the home. Well, in um, January, they went back to their little private special education preschool. And he's been going twice a week since January. And I was like, we really need them to engage with this device, right? Mm -hmm. So mom had been asking them what words they were working on. And and yesterday, and it was my, um, it was my, um, I split my grad students. They get a half a semester with me because it's just one me now doing like multiple hats. And so I had, it was my graduate student's very first day and she got to go sit in on a, on a basically a round table discussion with the mom, the little guy, his device, the SPED um, director and three teacher's assistants. And there we are like, and this is not a public school. This is a, this is a private church-based program. Mm-hmm. And the little guy just walked right over on his device and was just flying through. And he was going to all of the different things in the room. And like everybody in the room was like, oh my gosh, he knows, he knows what he's doing. But it was the first time they had seen his device in, but we had done the RBI. We had put all the seeking to understand the different questions and putting his routines in the vocabulary for it in his device in one rapid fire 30 minute meeting, because we were hauling out the door to get across town so that we can make it to it like an hour and a half long meeting. Yeah. 
he said all those things, but he did not say I have to poop. And he totally blew it out. I mean, like poo everywhere. Like it's been a really pooey, like 24 hours for me. But, like, I was like, going to say, I'm going to have to like <laughs> play a game every time Michelle says poop today. Well, but... I'm just saying. Okay. So happy St. Patrick's day Eve again. And sorry for the poo jokes, but this is yeah. work in the world early intervention. Okay. All right. So all of this RBI stuff, and we're huge fans, clearly, um, we have to track down this lovely person that authored this interview and then do have them on. That's We, we have to add this to our, our list for the year. Okay. So how does RBI correlate to the value of floor time? And and that's that's something that I want to put on my bucket list. I'm working on it. Yeah, I, I want to get that floor well, time courses. I mean, you do floor. So I, um, and it, I think it's a newer terminology. Um, mm-hmm. One of our OT friends, she's like, I've never heard of that exact terminology. Excuse me. Um, But I am working really closely with OTs recently. Um, mm-hmm. One of my friends who's an OT who we share a patient was like, are you, you need to get floor time certification. I was like, what is floor time? She's like, it's what you do. Like you do floor time. You just don't realize it. Um, and it was developed by Dr. Greenspan who has authored a lot of books. One of the books that I'm reading is called first feelings right now. And it, it talks about the development of feelings and emotions from infancy on, um, which is really interesting. And so he developed floor time, which is, and I will define it excuse me, an evidence-based intervention, um, research demonstrate that it strengthens fundamental communication and relationship abilities for children with autism and other special needs. Um, these improve, these improvements in the core deficits occur because of floor times foundation in child development. And so in floor time, you use time with the child to, that excites their interest, draws their connection to you and challenges them to be creative, curious and spontaneous, all of which help intellectually and emotionally. And you can go on, there's a lot of different sites. Um, If you search uh, Greenspan's floor time is like the most, um, like, well, I think it's like the most established or Dr. Greenspan kind of developed floor time. And then DIR floor time is like a floor time certification that you can get. And that's by a um, speech pathologist. Cause that's the one that I was looking at. Mm-hmm. And it, I want to make sure that I, uh, yes. And they, so there's different certifications that you can get for it. A lot of the Star Institute is like, they have a lot of OT courses and I think they're the same institute Wait. that does SOS. Yes. Star Institute. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Do, that's, yes. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of um, floor time as well. And so, and I'm learning so much from Dylan Hartley, who was on the podcast. He does a lot of floor time and it's all about following the child's lead, challenging them, and then expanding the interaction to include different like senses and motor movements. So it, a lot of it is building upon a child's idea. And I am not, not, I like, I'm not trained in floor time. I want to clarify that this is my experience with floor time. This is just what I know. So if you want more information on it, go to the DRI floor time website, look more in the Star Institute and then look more at Dr. Greenspan because that's where you can get a lot more information. I just bought his very last paperback copy on Amazon, but it was only $9. 
So um, <laughs> yeah, everybody else, sorry, I bought the last one, but it, <laughs> it'll be back. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about like, and I use this, I think of one specific patient I have, and I work a lot with the OT with this patient and we use floor time very specifically. It's about building connection. So it, when I'm in a session with him, if he has an idea or we have a game that he's working on playing or something imaginative, we try to, I try to play off of what he's doing and expand it to engage him and connect with him in a different way. And so like, if we're really focused on, you know, building an obstacle course, maybe he's building the obstacle course and then I fall off the obstacle course and he needs to help me, like help me up. Or maybe something happens in the obstacle course or he draws something and then I draw something and see if he'll play off of that to connect with me. But I'm, you're really, it's very, very client driven, but it's seeing what reaction they have to be. Like, I remember, we were um, playing with a car with this kid and something, he pretended that he smelled something, which was like a new thing. It was just a spontaneous, a lot of times like you get a routine, like we always play this game and this is the game that we play and we try to change the tool that we use with it. Or if you try and change something up to see how spontaneous they can be. And he like said something smell and I was like, oh, it's a fire. And so we pretended there was a fire and he like played off of it. And it was just like, none of it makes sense, but you're just like engaging in emotions and interactions and building that connection language expansion. And, and expanding language. And so uh -huh. there's so many other aspects for it, but it's like symbolic thinking, like logical. We're pretending that something happened. Can you think through what just happened and create a solution to this imaginary problem? can you engage in joint attention for an activity for a certain period of time? And so it's, and the book, and let me find it exactly. I looked it up specifically. So it's called the book that we've talked about a couple of times, but it's called play by Stuart Brown. And it talks about play, how it shapes the brain, opens the imagination and invigorates the soul. And this, I would recommend this to anyone, but it talks so much about how humans are humans because we play and there's a reference, and I think Dylan might've made this in the podcast too, but how wolves and dogs are different because dogs always play and wolves develop these facial features that are more striking because eventually they have to be protected. And so the reason why, and I make fun of men because their frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until they're 29, but the reason that's the case is so they can play and make more mistakes so that when that frontal lobe develops fully, they have worked through, and that's why teenagers make dumb mistakes because they're learning how to problem solve because you have to go through these problems to work through that in your brain to make those solutions. So when kids are playing, that's exactly what they're doing is they're working through these problems. How do I solve them? How do I develop the language to explain how I'm feeling, how I'm solving it, working through this problem within a safe environment? So the safer they feel, and going through these play-based scenarios with you and connecting with you and building that communication and that trust, the more likely they're going to expand on that play because they understand it's a safe space and they can make mistakes and work through it and connect with you and build those social interactions. Okay. So that made sense. Yes, it did. And it was perfect. And 
So I started doing, and I, again, am not the DIR floor time certified, but I started doing floor time based play-based therapy because of Crystal. Yes, but it was because Crystal taught me, of course it was an OT don't guys find an OT and then like make them be your person and adopt. I've made a couple. Yes. Yes. But, um, Crystal, our, our, our girlfriend, Crystal went to university of Pitt, which is like number one in the nation for OT school. Um, wait, H to P. Did I do it right? H to P. Hell to Pitt. Good job. It did not go there. I'm a, I'm a JMU Duke dog all the way. But we had this one little one that we were working on safety awareness. It was a little girl. She had autism and, uh, she would get hurt and couldn't tell us why, what hurt, how she hurt and her mom, that was part of their routine space. I was doing routine space, like pre Theodore, when I didn't even know that this was like a title for it. Wow. Um, and, and so we, she was really into her older sister's paper dolls, um, much to her older sister's like demise, like her older sister absolutely loathed that the little one, cause she would accidentally like rip the arms off or whatever, but we would go in the clinic with mom in tow. There's mom, there's all of us. And I would take her little paper dolls and I would climb them up the steps to the slide and going up, 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 wee down, oh, ow. And I would like bend the little paper doll leg and pretend that the paper doll was hurt. And like after several weeks of doing this and like pretending to put on play band-aids and all sorts of stuff, she came in covered head to toe in SpongeBob SquarePants and her mom goes, but I can't get them off of her because it hurts when you rip the bandaid off. And she was like, so we got them all on and like now they're stuck. So like, um, Crystal bless her. She was like baby oil. So like they ended up like basically soaking the kid in baby oil later that night. And then the next time they came back, she had her paper dolls and she was like, no shell, no hurt baby. <laughs> because I mean, she knew I was going to like the baby doll was going to fall, but it was It was amazing because she was able to, after a couple of sessions of like pretending this paper dog was like Mm -hmm. mortally injured or like fatally injured, Mm -hmm. like, yes. But, um, I just, her showing up and head to Joe SpongeBob. I had not had that memory in a minute. I, oh my gosh, she has to be 12 now, 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. Wow. But it, yeah. But if you think about it too, like, you know, okay, we're playing with bubbles and it's my turn to use the bubbles and my patient gets pissed off for lack of a better term because I took their (laughs) bubbles and then you model oh I'm mad like you took my bubbles those were mine I'm angry I'm frustrated and then they can communicate that and they have an understanding so when something else frustrates them that they can't you know that they have Mm -hmm. the language and and Mm -hmm. that's a similar way and it it builds that. And you talk so much and we talk about like parallel play and parallel talk Mm -hmm. and that's very important and that's extremely helpful. But by this with floor time too, you're playing next to them, but you're also engaging them in a subtle way. So you're finding a way for them to make interest so that it's, it's like, oh, you're in my world now. And this is my world. And, and you can have a part in it too. It's not just 
you playing alongside me, but you understand. Okay, so you understand what, how I wanna play. And that's how my brain is working. And they talk in this book play about how, like there's a lot of research to show that people that play in their work tend to be more successful. So engineers that used to take apart clocks and put them back together or fashion designers who used to sketch and draw art when they were younger and how, you know, how play just, it's this different part of our brain. And it's so important because the way that they define play in this book, and I, I'm not going to get everything right, but it's spontaneous. It is not meaningless, but it doesn't have a, pur it's purposeless. Like it, there's the purpose for it's it is joy. play. It's, it's joy. joy. Yes. But that is what a child's job is. And and it's hard. And this part, like floor time, can be hard to engage parents in at yes. times. Um, because you, I think in a way to incorporate floor time and routines-based intervention, it may be hard at first. And this is where at the beginning of the sessions, you may be interacting a lot more with the child and figuring out how to coach because you first need to pull, not pull this child because I don't want you, you're not forcing them out, but you need to have this child understand, especially with our children with autism, that there's someone else in their world and that yes. we're engaging and we're interacting and it, this is joyful. And so that may take some time, but also making play out of these routines. So how can you make getting in the car playful? How, Dylan talked in the episode about how do you approach the child? Do you mm -hmm. walk straight up to them? Do you like, I'm, when I Your see presence. a lot of my kids, I like move slowly or I like hide, like, how do you interact? And for some parents, especially parents that have had a history of, you know, if they're a NICU baby or they've, you know, had difficulties connecting with their child because they have autism and we're living in this neurotypical this world. Depression postpartum. So for whatever way there is, um, I think floor time is going to look different for every child and it may take a little bit of time, but it's all about, and it's all about showing parents those connections and how successes may look different than what they expect. Like this can be a difficult sell for some families that really want their child to sit at the table and have more of a behavioral approach. And and I've had some conversations with some of my friends that are occupational therapists that don't really, I mean, I don't use a behavioral approach with feeding or language. Um, and there may be some families that that's really, really what they're looking for, more of like an ABA approach. And that's okay. Um, then, that's not my style. That could, it's There's nothing wrong with it. But floor time is definitely not a behavioral approach at nope. all. Okay. So, and this can be different between parents and between caregivers. Like I'm the parent that lays down on the floor and plays video games with the kids. Like we played the toilet bowl game last night and y'all that's a stupid game. It's possibly the world's stupidest game. It's a toilet bowl that you fill with water that bless his heart. Chewbacca is going to come over and drink out of the toilet bowl at least once while you spin the toilet paper roll and then you flush the potty that many times and it squirts you in the face. However, it has math embedded in it. It has mm. cause and effect. It has a ridiculous amount of joy and laughter, right? Is my, I have never seen my husband and probably never will see my husband crawl on the floor and play the toilet bowl 
game with yeah but he wrestles with them he wrestles with them which makes me nervous because like both of my children are accident prone and but um christian's or he throws his back out yeah (laughs) thank you thank you united states army yeah yeah he he will throw his back out bless him this is probably why he does not crawl on the floor to play the toilet bowl game but he's the parent that will print out um I don't know. They're playing some game where they like print out like a mech robot and they like design this robot and then they print it. And then they'll all color together at the kitchen table on a Saturday and Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's precious because Will Bear went through years of therapy and we had early intervention. We had speech therapy and um, it was Arctic phonology and language expansion. But prior to Angela, we never had anybody ask us those questions and, mm-hmm. and, and, and see how the different parents interacted. So nine times out of 10, we are dealing with a matriarch in the family, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's because normally the, the fathers are working out of the home because the pandemic has put women out of work at an astronomically high rate, which is incredibly frustrating, but that's a conversation for like a whole different day and topic, but we're predominantly working with the matriarchs in the family. However, we have to realize that the patriarchs serve a different um, role in the family and they're going to pull different language. The language that the boys Mm -hmm. use with dad is very different than the language that they use with me. Also with moms, they have the uncanny ability to turn into a whiny hot train wreck of a mess like that. And like, they could have been fine before I get home, but I walk in the door yeah. and everybody wants to eat. Everybody needs something. They can't find a mask. They can't find their favorite pair of socks or like it's the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. 10 minutes before I got there, everybody was hunky-dory playing a video game and all of the language there. So- right. When we're planning our sessions out and we're engaging with play-based therapy for language acquisition and engaging in floor time and we're engaging with the routine space, we need to make sure that we are engaging with different caregivers because they have a different role and they serve a different role for, um, mm-hmm. for our patients. And I mean, we're we just this weekend had grandma and grandfather and uncle Matthew monster down for like the first time since last July, because everybody got vaccinated and, and my sweet special needs brother-in-law was vaccinated. And we went to the soccer fields and grandma did more physical activities with goose because they had that opportunity. So we have to remember that like, that is a matriarch in the family. I won't say how old she is. She would kill me dead, 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 but she's not exactly the one that you would anticipate going up to the soccer fields and getting on a bike and, you know, making sure he doesn't topple off the bike because bless him, my grace. But again, seeking full, um, input on what those activities are. And then our job is to say, Hey, you guys like to go to the soccer fields. Okay. So here's some great language that you, I mean, kick, Mm -hmm. go and stop and counting down three, two, one, go and running. Mm -hmm. You should have seen uncle Matthew running. It was, he even kicked the ball and scored on the boys. And it was like the greatest thing ever, but those are, let's not discredit all of the family members and focus on just one. We have to get buy-in and establish buy-in from everybody. And, and this is like kind of a soapbox, but I'm, 
I'm learning, especially having a student, like I'm learning how much I've learned and that's minimal compared to how much I need to learn, but I'm seeing, and, and I talk with my student who's wonderful about the power of waiting and observing Yes, because the latency period. Yes. But Mm -hmm. I think as a student, you feel like you always have to be doing something. Like I remember being a student, like needing to be prepared and you're, and you have a lesson plan and you need to feel like, you know, what's going to happen next and what you're going to work on. But, and especially with routines based in floor time, there is so much value in sitting and observing Mm -hmm. and watching a relationship. Like I'll sometimes be in a session and I'll just, and I learn and it was also in watching occupational therapists too, where I just sit there and I'll be like, sit there for five minutes, just like kind of watching my patient and being like, what are you trying to do? A, because our patients, it takes them longer to problem solve, to auditorily process, to think through what they're going to do. So give them a little bit more time. And also because I want to make sure that when I enter the situation or engage or embed language that I'm doing it the right way, as opposed to just, you know, a quantity wise. Yes. And so that it's more valuable. And that's the same way with our families too. Like there's value just as, you know, if we go in for a feeding eval and I sit, start with the fam, with the mother feeding the child, the grandmother, the aunt, the father, the, whoever the caregiver is, because I want to observe, like also observe the relationships that the, like how the child and the, the caregiver interact, because that can give you a lot of information on how to embed that language and that intervention, because there is so much dynamic and there can be trauma and there can, there's a lot of history. And so making sure that you keep that in mind because you can give the greatest recommendations ever, but it, it might not be right for the family. And so you can have a plan and you can have a handout and you can have a toy and you can have all the things, but if it's not what's right for the family, then it doesn't matter. So making sure that you take the time to process all of that and, and you may not always have an answer right away. You may observe during a session and try something and say, you know what, I think that we can try this this week, but we'll come back around and there's nothing wrong with, with that either. Also, a lot can happen for our families in a week. Oh, so like, I, yeah, I'm just trying my family. No. And I have a, I think about a couple of patients that are going through a lot of, a lot of changes, especially our medically complex kiddos. So you walk into a session and you're like, okay, how's this week been? And they're like, well, and they just, I mean, yeah, you never know. Yeah. So so when you're doing, when you do the RBI interview, this is not a one and done. This is a like one big detailed interview and you're done. Mm-hmm. But then you have a week to week. Okay. So did you have any new doctor's appointments? Are there any yeah. new medications, um, any new breakthrough seizures? Um, did they poop in the last week? That's always one of my favorite ones to ask. Um, any new words, but like then listening to them, And then teasing out where they're going with their answer as to what open-ended question you can ask Mm -hmm. next and what, what words of affirmation they need. 
Like that's, that's a, I have to say, I really do use a whole lot of crucial conversations. I love that book and the five love languages in my mm-hmm. practice, because that's, I will show my joy for our profession Right. Words of affirmation and touch, which has been really difficult in the pandemic to be like, you're doing so good. And like reaching over and like brushing somebody's shoulder or something, but like that's that this is frowned upon now. Right. So I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I reach out to the computer and I'm like, oh my God, you did it. Yay. And I just like touch the computer screen. Thank goodness. It's not a touch screen. We'd all have a problem by then, but finding out how to hold those conversations and what that adult's learning style is. Are they kinesthetic, mm-hmm. tactile, auditory, visual, the, all of those. So there's, there's a lot to be said. Okay. We only have like 13 minutes left and we have another question, but y'all, we are 100% live. So if anybody has any questions and wants to like throw it out there, we're 100%, 100% live as opposed to 90% live. Yeah, because I would take that as like a lag time or like, you know, like, are they secretly editing Michelle and Aaron out like before they go through and like, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't. 110% here for for y'all. Yes. The the 10% is Lana who makes us look like we know what we're doing. Thank you, Lana. (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't see anything yet. So then I'm going to roll over to our AAC Mm -hmm. questions. Okay. So how do we, okay. So we have, I have made the error in calling things cultural competency. And then we had Ana Maria Adamayo, Adamio. I can't say it. And I'm so sorry, Ana Maria. She's um, with diversity SLP on podcast or not podcast on Instagram, diversity SLP with Christina and Courtney. And they are a trio of SLPs based out of um roughly the DC metro area, like a little bit into Virginia, Mm -hmm. DC, and um, a little bit into Maryland. And they have created this amazing program where they actually go into inner city schools that are at risk and talk about our profession and like educate people on what the field of speech pathology is. I mean, the only reason I found out about it is because my kid brother was born with a cleft, got electrocuted and had dysarthria. Otherwise, I never would have known about our mm-hmm. field. So thank you, Ethan, and your brilliant 6'4 physics degree self and wonderfulness. But we had her, um, she was gracious enough to come and do a um, an hour long lecture with my, uh, with my graduate students all about, because she teaches adjunct at NYU on bilingual trilingual evaluation and treatment best practice for like the pediatric patient by a monolingual SLP or a bilingual SLP who doesn't speak any of the other individuals first languages and she was phenomenal oh my god she was she was so charismatic and so knowledgeable and she shared, we shouldn't be calling it culturally competent. She's like, I am competent in my culture. She goes, you can study, study, and study. But if you are not from my culture, you're never fully culturally competent. You're engaging in cultural humility and cultural respect. And I thought that's brilliant. And yes, yes. And so in her, one of her partners, 
and forgive me off the top of my head, I can't remember if it's Courtney Overton or Christina Royster, but one of her partners, the one that works in Maryland in the public schools, her specialty, her focus area, I should say, is AAC for pediatrics. And she gave some quick tips for um, AAC that I, th I thought were great starting points. Um, mm -hmm. and, and one of them was to engage in culture respect was to find out what language do you want on the AAC device? Like really truthfully, like what, what's the first language that we should be putting on there? The, the child's and their family's first language. But I have families that have requested a device that's bilingual and, yeah. um, and LAMP is LAMP, um, which full disclosure, I'm totally biased and absolutely love them, but there's plenty of other options out there. Um, but they have with one button push, one button, I can go from Spanish to English. I'm not, I have no way of knowing how great a job the conjugation goes between the two, but it allows for individuals to, for the, him to have his his words in Spanish in the exact same location. So it's still motor muscle yeah. planning in, in Spanish. And then he switches it over to English when he takes it to school. And some of the other suggestions that were given um, from, from them, as well as from Stephen Neese with speech and language songs, because he's been on and Dr. Carol Page with the South Carolina Assistive Technology Office is, are we considering the actual icons and the pictures Mm -hmm. and and making those pictures culturally diverse and representative of the child that's utilizing the device because a lot of them look like little white boys little right. bald white boys at that and what about the the voice that comes out mm -hmm. if you're working with a little boy do we want an old lady's voice or do we want something that's more commiserate to their age Wait, I heard this great thing about Stephen Hawking. I read this great thing about Stephen Hawking. With all of the technology, the reason why Stephen Hawking continues to have that one voice on his device, it was a dear friend of his, a researcher um, further away, recorded all of his original sentences because they didn't anticipate Stephen Hawking living that long. And he wanted you know, his voice. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being that man, I think got colorectal cancer and then passed away. The, the actual original voice passed away within months of having completed it. And Stephen Hawking's lived all this time. And when they've offered him like system right. upgrades, he's like, no, that is my friend's voice. That's my friend's legacy, which I just, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> okay. That was a lot. I was very impassioned to get those out. So Aaron, what, what are you, what are you feeling about cultural humility and respect for AAC instead of competency? I think that what you said too, about like asking, like, I think sometimes it's uncomfortable or you don't know how to ask the question, but mm -hmm. what I found is that families are they understand that, you know, if you have a Spanish speaking family, they understand that like they go to doctor's offices and it's hard for them to communicate. Like if, if you are having a hard time communicating with them, that's probably not the first time that that's happened for them, sadly. So I've found that they appreciate being asked mm -hmm. because, and, and what breaks my heart sometimes is like, I think I have a lot of families that just want help so badly that they'll take it in any form. And you're like, no, but you also have 
a right to how you want to receive yes. these services. So I, I'm here to help you, but I want to make sure that you're getting these services in the way that's the most comfortable for you and your family and making sure that you, your families are aware of what services they are owed because mm-hmm. Medicaid will pay for an interpreter. If you, if you, as, um, at least in South Carolina, I know that BabyNet will cover an interpreter if they request it. Wait, BabyNet is the birth to three. Sorry. And yes. then yes, and then depending on whether or not the child transitions to the public school at the age of three, then the public schools can provide interpretive services. If they're private insurance, that doesn't always cover yeah. it. But there are low cost to no cost options to be respectful and supportive. Mm-hmm. But just just making sure that you ask and. And, and that you're trying, like, especially in the, in the world that we live in right now, like we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to not know the right thing to say or the right way to go about things. But if you ask and you try and you do your research, then that's only going to help you in the future. And I think that our families will be grateful for that because there are a lot of people that, that aren't trying as hard. It is really, really hard. And I don't know if this is a South Carolina thing, but we get so many families that are bilingual Mm -hmm. and you try and send them to um, a bilingual therapy place and the wait list is insane. And my biggest regret of college is that I didn't continue Spanish. So eventually I'm hoping to be bilingual again because I was fluent in Spanish. I'll get there, but I can't. But make, you know, you, you want to still serve these families and do it in the best way possible. So asking questions and doing your research and, and trying your best, I think is important. Yes. And, and it's one of the questions that what, I think it was one of the students asked when um, they were on mm-hmm. was like, okay, but what about the words? What, like, what, what targeted words should we, we be working on? Like in language therapy or much mm-hmm. less in like within AAC device. And, and when Anna Maria answered, it was, it was very smart. It was like, there is no comprehensive list for like every single language of like, this is the core vocab that you need to be working on because it's case specific. Like every child has their own unique core vocabulary. That's important to the family, which circles us all the way back to the initial RBI interview. And then like French vocab, because our French vocab changes, like we were really into Gravity Falls for a little bit. And now the boys are really into Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, right? Like I can sing the theme song. Yes. They have very good choice choice and opinions and cartoons. Um, But being able to find out what the words are that are the most meaningful and helpful to them, like Mm -hmm. and getting, and getting specific examples and programming one of their family members voice into it especially if there's a sibling or somebody of that age that way they have something that's representative of themselves Mm -hmm. and that's y'all when those little guys hear that voice or they hear a word that they know watching their face light up it's just oh my gosh like one of my little ones (laughs) there with the little one's communication device. 
they have decided that the the little the little human was really into dog training like he's really into the family dog so they've started putting they created the family put a whole page on there just for the dog like sit stay i don't know dog commands it's not like dog and chewy listen so like i would not know good examples but they even got the little guy so like now the little guy can like push the button on his device and the dog doesn't quite understand that he has to follow the direction. So he like listens to it and then he looks at the daddy and the daddy like gives the hand signal. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. but that is so meaningful and empowering for this family. And I mean, I'm not one that knows how to go duck hunting, but like that's part of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if you haven't been on the First Bite podcast Insta account, um, then I advise you to do it really quickly because later tomorrow night, and if you're listening to this on St. Patrick's Day later tonight, um, I think, when did Annalisa say? Five o'clock was the end time? Yeah. Five o'clock we'll be concluding it, but we're doing a drawing giveaway for Feeding Matters International Pediatric Feeding Disorders Conference. So first bite will be actually the Mr. Dawson. The Mr. Dawson will be paying for you with the lovely joy checking to go. To go. And we're going to pull um, one person. So um, please go check out the at first bite podcast Insta account to enter to win. And I think Aaron's going to help do this one. I'm in the process. So we're in the process. At, um, oh. Yeah, this, this one. Um, I just don't know what I'm, I'm going to help do. <laughs> help me collect the data and analyze it. Huzzah. Okay. So we're in the process after this huge pitch of creating an EMR system at um, Francis Marion University where I'm the clinic coordinator. Oh, I did that before. The, you, go ahead. Perfect. Yes. Ahead. And so we have a live, we have a Q&A going on right now. Am I using the right terms here? Yeah, I was going to say, good job. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Listen to you. You prepped me. You told me what to say. And I want to hear from y'all on what acronyms and abbreviations, especially for like medical diseases and disorders, what, what acronyms and abbreviations that y'all use most frequently? Frequently. Yes. Because I know the ones that I use, you used, what was W-O-B? Work of breathing. Yes. I say, I don't know that one, but like everybody has use their that own. in the NICU a lot. Okay. Yeah. That's seen. That's why I wouldn't know that one. Don't want to know that one. I need to have these in here because I'm creating a, a master copy list that um, the company that we're utilizing is going to go in and program them in. So like, help me help the lovely students that I then force upon Aaron. <laughs> so yay. <laughs> okay. But that's it. As we, I won't make Michelle say it, but <laughs> we Thank appreciate you. any ratings or reviews on Apple podcasts. They help us out a lot, uh, A, knowing uh, what y'all like or what you want us to do and also just help get the word out. And our goal is just to provide information and, and spread awareness and, and create so and spread joy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, lady. That's it. Everybody out there, thank you so much for joining us as always. And we will see you next Tuesday. You'll hear us. Oh, wait. And our next one that Aaron and I do, we will be um, recording in advance because um, oh, yeah. somebody has a lovely thing I'll to go do. On a beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. So next one, Aaron and I, for the month of April, will not be live. We'll be pre-recorded, but then back in May, we'll be live. So. Have a good night, everybody. 
Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Oh, 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 oh,